Hello, you've got Ted Corliss with the Corliss Barfield Trout Group. I am a property insurance lawyer based out of Tampa, Florida, but my office serves the interests of policyholders all across the United States. Over these past several weeks, we have been dedicating much of our resources towards assisting people in the Tampa Bay community who have been suffering as a consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, what is it that I could possibly bring to that? Uh, a couple of things. The first is that we started a program called Mask Mission. That's hashtag Mask Mission because hashtag Corliss Cares. That's me, Ted Corliss. The idea is that throughout the entire community where my law firm is based in Tampa, we encountered older people, people working with the public, and otherwise vulnerable to catching the COVID-19 who are without personal protection equipment. But before we get to the personal protection equipment, I want to address some of the medical issues that have been coming up in the standard news circles. I have to tell you that I've spent the last 25 years taking depositions of every brand of expert that's ever existed. Anything from architects to engineers to um, surgeons, uh, regular doctors, financial people, management people, just about any kind of specialty that you could you could ever hire. But what we've discovered is that currently there are a lot of individuals who are proposing various public health ideas that are not necessarily based in sound science. And so the more I saw or heard people misrepresenting the nature of the virus itself, either to benefit themselves or simply because of the hysterics that they enjoy associated with that. What I've tried to do is to reach out and to provide counsel as well as resources for people in need. And so over these past several weeks, we have been donating personal protection equipment. But along the way, I've certainly found a need for a qualified physician to answer some of the most basic questions that we have about this. For example, today is, is the first part of June, but most of our children, my daughter included, will be going back to school now sometime in August. Is it safe to do that? What is the nature of the research that has been done to date to identify some of the more common factors that are leading to fatalities when people do get COVID-19? Or perhaps allow individuals to go longer periods of time with the disease than say otherwise. And so what I like to do is in that context, I want to reach out to an individual that I personally respect and someone whose opinion I've based my own personal medical opinions on. And that's my doctor. And so in just a few moments, we're going to begin playing for you an interview that I took of him yesterday. Very much appreciate his time and his counsel. My doctor's name is Dr. Radley Griffin, and Dr. Griffin is a family health physician, board certified in family medicine, and has been for more than a dozen years. And I have been one of his patients, regular patient now, going on eight years. He has provided enormous counsel to me personally. He also helped serve one of my family members who had a very severe medical condition a few years ago, and he really stepped up his game and gave us the support and the direction that we needed to get her out of those circumstances. 
And so what I'm going to do in a few moments is when we play this, I'm going to ask him some of the more interesting questions that I found about COVID-19. For example, are there certain people who are especially vulnerable to this? He also, at the end, will give us some counsel regarding some specific things that we can do for ourselves while this pandemic is moving forward so that we can protect ourselves against injury and potentially our own mortality. And I give you now Dr. Radley Griffin. Dr. Griffin, thank you so much uh, for speaking with me today. How are you today in that sweltering heat in Colorado? I'm sorry, you're in Florida. I'm in Colorado. How's it going down there? Hey, thank you, Ted. It's uh, great to talk to you as well. It's, uh, it's yeah, very sweltering here in Tampa, Florida. But uh, I think a lot of people are enjoying getting out into the sunshine, no matter the heat. You get a little bit of that uh, vitamin D, which right. is so important these days. So yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, I, that's a, that's such a great thing to start on. And I, I just wanted to tell you that, you know, uh, full disclosure to those that are listening, Dr. Griffin happens to be my doctor and a damn fine one at that. And I had an opportunity to speak with him the other day. And afterwards I felt that some, so many of the things you shared with me, others would benefit from hearing. And so I'm glad you hopped on a call with me. Let's begin by just asking a generic question about COVID-19. When do you believe that it showed up in the United States for the first time? Well, I think uh, the first uh, presumed case was out in Seattle, I believe, uh, discovered around the 20-something of January with a a person coming from uh, Wuhan, I believe. And that patient was hospitalized and successfully treated with remdesivir. And uh, that was really our, the, the first uh, known case. And then, of course, you know, in my practice, a lot of patients have said, gosh, you know, I thought I had something like that in December. Uh, I know I think I had something like that in, in February. And, you know, so there's a lot of that. So the antibody testing for COVID has been really interesting. And, and this is basically a blood test that, that we do. We draw in the office, we send it to the lab, and we basically, it can tell us if a person has ever been exposed to COVID, uh, SARS-CoV-2, which, which uh, creates the, the disease uh, COVID-19. And it's, uh, these tests are specific, and uh, we think they're very specific to COVID-19. And it and so what we do then is we say if some some of our tests, I think we we checked about five to six hundred of our between five and six hundred of our own patients in our practice, which is a pretty, I think, a solid um, sampling. That's a big and, sampling, sure, sure. And we we found around anywhere between three and five percent. And I say it's it's not as a because I haven't calculated it uh, recently. And we used two tests, and one test actually gave an antibody level. And we know that some of our patients who tested positive who had COVID-19, we, we tested them with nostril swabs. They tested positive and recovered. Uh, and then we subsequently tested them for antibodies. Some of them actually came back with a very low-level antibody. And had we not known that they actually fought off the disease their antibody would have been read as negative. And in fact, we know that about 40% of our positive cases have so far tested negative for antibodies, which is something we can 
maybe come a little bit, but, but through, throughout all this testing, we would, our, all of our positive cases, what we would do is we would circle back with them and say, Hey, you tested positive for antibodies. When did you, when do you think you had maybe some symptoms similar to, um, you know, uh, that w- could have resembled COVID, where it'd be a cough, a fever, feeling run down, fatigue, headache. And we had um, a couple of cases coming in for, and this is Tampa folks. And so uh, we had a couple of cases saying, yeah, it was back in February. We had a bunch of the, the March uh, time period. And we even had one patient who said, yeah, back in December, I was really knocked down. Right. And so, and we know, so it, it would not surprise me, uh, especially knowing that we, um, we read that there was a, a patient in France who, who uh, was tested posthumously and, and tested positive, and, she, and that patient, I believe, was a female, passed away in, in December. And so just based on that, that anecdote, I don't have any proof, is my patient obviously came across covid and uh, had symptoms in December, so I, I could I could guess around December just based on my my personal um, uh, relationships there. Well, the, I guess the significance of it being that far back into the past is that I think you had mentioned to me the other day you actually believe that we're in the middle of the bounce at, right now, as opposed to a bounce coming in the end of this year. Is that right? That that would make sense to me because from that perspective, because if you know, if we know that this virus is spread pretty easily and we can see that there is a you know, pretty pretty decent infectious rate, maybe a little bit greater than flu, and we see that from the different ships in the prison systems that it's you know, if it's in these close quarters, the virus can spread pretty easily. Right. And so so we say it's a you know, we, we figure it's a very infectious uh, type pathogen. And so oh, a lot of, you know, with, I'm not a virologist by any means, but just, to, you know, learning more and more about it over the past several months, you know, most viruses follow a, a sort of a two hump pattern, a, an initial hump, and then a pretty enormous second hump. And gosh, if, you know, looking back at this past enormous hump that we experienced here in the U.S. And then when these known cases, so if we figured that the first hump uh, was happening in the, you know, undetected in November, December, probably some deaths happening, but we just, you know, we just figured it was, um, we actually had one of our patients pass away in December. Uh, no, actually it was early January. And it was one of those things where, where, we were talking on a Saturday and they passed away on Monday. It's like, whoa, what oh, the wow. heck was that? Wow. And so wow. we don't think that was COVID, but we were just like, gosh, yeah, these things happen. And we were really none the wiser because we felt like COVID wasn't over in the U.S. just yet because we knew China was, was battling uh, COVID uh, there and felt like it was uh, just discovered. So one theory is that it was that, that initial uh, if this virus is spreading pretty pretty easily, you get a pretty good uh, first hump, and then uh, you get a pretty massive second hump. And the, the theory is that we're we're coming to the tail end of that second wave. And that's my prayer. Gosh, if if we have to go through a bigger second hump in the fall, you know, God help us. 
Well, I know that we've all seen the the video of the Lake of the Ozarks where there are people literally shoulder to shoulder to each other. How do you think that particular event uh, will be relevant to us understanding this disease? Well, I think we we look at that and and um, I think there's there's a lot of theories right now that gosh, we needed to lock down and and um, and then different different measures that we're we're taking that are somewhat foreign to the, those of us here in the u s. I mean, I think on a good day, a lot of us might wash our hands. <laughs> so, uh, so getting a little bit better at that was 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 a really smart idea. Um, but then some of the others, I think it's you know the ideas of, of infection control. I think are important for us to take a look at, you know, and, and really gleaning from from what's happened to us, what is effective and what isn't effective, really for the long term. And so one theory is that hey, you know what what is the genesis of the six foot rule. All of these uh, folks in the Ozarks are outside. Um, they're they're not adhering to any, you know, any smart distancing or social distancing, and it can create a degree of outrage. And but I think what we we can learn from this is is, is truly okay. This can this virus be spread, and you know, in in certain temperatures and with certain UV penetrants. Um, can it be spread outdoors in, in active sunlight, you know, especially when when we're gearing here, uh, getting toward the summer where they, we, we get more UVB penetrants into the, you know, into the um, into the outdoors, especially as as the angle of the earth uh, shifts, the the UV uh, increases uh, uh, going northward, whereas I think it's around Birmingham, Alabama, uh latitude and below that gets really good uv all the time and anything above that basically from november to february ish uh, gets very poor uv and so what we see there is that we're now beyond that period of time there's good uv uh, happening people are outdoors and i think florida experienced something like that in march with spring break and you know the the uh infamous uh, floridian kids are are saying I don't care about COVID. I got a party, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, and we're yeah. all welcome to we're Florida. We're collectively sure. groaning here because oh. we're not knowing how the heck this thing is spreading, and 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 really not knowing a whole lot about the virus in that at that period of time. And we didn't see that. We didn't see that big spike. Of course, there were some kids that came back from from spring break, even here in Tampa, and there was a group of four. Um, college students who who all tested positive, but we just didn't see that 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 exponential um, spread, you know, here in Florida. And I will say, Florida, um, we locked down late. I think we locked down in early April. And I I work our office is right on a busy street here in Tampa, and it was it was. Uh, quiet for a bit, but for the most part, people were out and about. It was not, I would never classify Tampa as ever being a ghost town. As a lot of my patients who live in other cities, San Francisco and, and even New York, where it's just uh, uh, eerily quiet. Tampa was never really like that. And so I would say if if there was a way to do it right, we weren't doing that. If, if you know, social distance, and we, you know, we weren't completely, um, um, frivolous, but weren't 
you know, I think businesses are trying to keep uh, patrons six feet apart, really doing sure. the best they could. And well, occasionally we'll have. Right. And so much of our, you know, Florida's economy is based upon those kinds of things. It's uh, based upon people being exactly. outside, sitting in tiki bars Correct. or. Uh, and, you know, you, you mentioned UV light. I guess one of the things that's important there is so UV light actually kills the virus as well as UV light would give you higher concentrations of vitamin D. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. And so, um, and just to, just to finish up on the, the Ozark crowd. So I think, I think we'll find out, which is the simple answer. My hunch is that we will not see a spike. And I think we should take comfort in that. And I think we can learn we, as opposed to being outraged by, by, you know, a particular crowd and saying, what the heck are you doing? I'm kind of looking back and saying, huh, I wonder how this is going to play out. Right. Um, They're making themselves more uh, kind of lab rats, uh, but. uh, uh, Sure. You know, I, I, (laughs) well, and again, I, I, I think it's an idea that if you're 25 years old and you're out hanging out with your friends, you're there, you know, because truthfully, there really aren't that many 25 year olds that are dropping dead from this, are there? No, there, there's not. It's it's um, really I don't I don't have the data in front of me, but it's we know that COVID is, the flu is more dangerous to our young kids. Um, and again, this I'm I don't want to compare it to flu in the in the in the sense of a disease process, right? Uh, COVID is as a disease is uh, is horrible, and it's it can cause some it's causing some strange syndromes. We're not quite where it's a it's a uh, a very interesting new disease, um, and it's completely different than flu. It seems to be a, a real, uh, primarily an inflammatory disease as opposed to an infectious disease. And so, hence, and then I, that's a good segue over to, to uh, vitamin D, but it, yeah, it doesn't seem to impact the little ones. It doesn't seem to impact our, our young, healthy individuals. Of course, there's always going to be outliers. You know, you don't know what's going on genetically with that, with that person or what's happening on the inside. Uh, but it, it's primarily a disease of, of uh, our elderly and our, our folks who are, I would say, in not terrific metabolic shape. Well, that, um, yeah, that is my other qu- my next question, which is, uh, Explain the association that appear that may appear to be between COVID nineteen and metabolic syndrome. Yeah, so so and this is really linked to vitamin D. So vitamin D is a is a hormone that's stimulated through our melanocytes in our in our skin, and it's um, it's basically it, it controls uh, how how well our body responds from an uh, immunologic perspective or our immune system response to diseases. And so the idea is, is that the, the higher our vitamin D levels, uh, I would say the more robust our immune system is. And, but this is tricky because there are certain conditions that can, that can bring down one's uh, vitamin D. And what's not clear is, is that I just take a bunch of vitamin D. Does that, does that, uh, can I assume that I'm in the clear? And I don't know the answer to that. Um, because one of the things we know when we say metabolic syndrome, so the idea of what, what kind of to, to break it down, metabolic syndrome is really this idea where the, it's a, it's a disease process where the body starts changing through, in my opinion, primarily through diet, but genetics do play a role. Um, 
it, really where our body starts collecting more fat and very specifically around our organs. We call that uh, organ fat or visceral fat. And when that happens, something really changes with our hormones in our body, specifically insulin. And there's a, there's another hormone called leptin. And there's, there's an imbalance that's, that's uh, created uh, during this process. And in my opinion, sugar is the root of all evil from a metabolic perspective. And it's the devil's dandruff. Some, it's just, it's just absolutely. It's, it's right up there with tobacco, and gosh, I might even be so bold as to say it's worse, you know, it's, as far as uh, what, it, how, what a killer it is. Right. And so this environment is created, and what happens is, is low vitamin D levels can actually uh, serve as a proxy, meaning that if someone, someone says, gosh, do I have metabolic disease, they may have a little, you know, little, like, few extra inches, than they used to have when they were in high school or college. And maybe they have a little bit of an uh, extra high blood pressure. But when these, uh, maybe their blood sugar is a little bit off and they're like, gosh, am I really in bad shape? So what's interesting is you can actually check a vitamin D level on a person. And people can actually order their own vitamin D at home, ship it to their house and test their own vitamin D level. Oh. Uh, there's a company called Everly Well, which will send you a kit pretty cheap and you can kind of get an idea. So what, if somebody has a lot of extra fat, visceral fat, organ fat, that fat tissue will actually suck up all the excess D in the system and, and basically hoard it. And so that D can't do its thing in the body and, and help to boost our immune system. So that's why those who, who have just excess weight, uh, excess, I don't, I don't want to say weight because someone can be very muscular, um, and, and have an abnormal BMI, those that have a high percentage of visceral or organ body fat uh, tend to bind knee and really suppress their immune system. So what was fascinating was when we were seeing the first cases of COVID and, you know, when I would hear about it, I would think, gosh, I'm, I visualized myself being on a ventilator, being in the hospital, being sick. And, and it was tough for me to really wrap my head around, like, gosh, this could really kill anybody. I'm scared. Sure. And then as the information came out, it's like, huh, there's a, just a high propensity of, of people who are succumbing to this who are, have metabolic issues, they're elderly, and, and more and more data is coming out that says, wow, these folks who are succumbing are actually in pretty rough shape. Of course, understanding there's going to be outliers of the healthy, young healthies who are impacted. And then the, the vitamin D association started coming out. And we have to be really careful about associations because associations don't, are not, uh, do different. not prove uh, right. causality. Right. right. It's not the scientific but, method that we're supposed to use for these kinds of questions. Absolutely not. So just because something has an association, but I, I think sometimes we can say, huh, we can, we can have a curiosity about something. And, and probably in mid-April, a lot of these vitamin D associations started coming out, and there was even one study that showed that 100% of the patients, and I, I don't know the, um, the cohort, I don't know the sample size, but there was 100% of ICU patients who were, who were vitamin D deficient. And I'm thinking, gosh, that is pretty darn powerful that 100% of, of folks in the ICU either on ventilators or, or at least very ill, all had vitamin D deficiency. And I think we can even look across the country and even across the world 
of where are we seeing the cases. And I, I realize we can't really look at Africa too hard because of, of testing limitations. Um, but we can look at Florida. I live in Florida. And again, knowing we didn't do anything terrific uh, here as far as, you know, social distancing and we lockdowns were, were late. Right, right. Yeah, definitely behind. But one, one of the things we and we, we have our, our uh, proportion of, of elderly folks as well. Um, but one thing we do have is we have the right latitude, not attitude, latitude. And, um, and we have, um, which means that perhaps we have a higher level of vitamin D uh, in the system. Of course, there's other factors there as well. There's, there's not as much density here, especially in Tampa. We do not have a robust public transportation system, which could facilitate the spread. But also looking at other countries, and it also it'll be interesting to look at countries like New Zealand and, and Australia, which in the you know we thought fared have fared very well, very few deaths, and then we kind of see what Brazil's going through as these southern hemisphere countries are going through their coming into their winter. Um, my hunch is they're they're going to experience a spike in cases as well. You're talking about Brazil. Well, Brazil's already experiencing theirs for sure. Right, right. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in Australia and in New Zealand as they're coming into winter. Now, what about the data comparing the United States to, uh, say, Sweden? So Sweden didn't really adopt too much of a, a strict lockdown, although I think the Swedes were, were, and even in the U.S., even before someone said that, kind of stay away from each other. I know I was really doing that. I was like, oh, I don't really want to be in the room, you know, too close to folks and things like that. So it's so interesting when someone, when you kind of figure someone might have a disease, they, you know, social distancing really sort of uh, takes over. It's almost instinctual, at least it was for me. Um, so Sweden didn't really adopt any strict measures. We know Japan didn't adopt, uh, adopt too many strict measures either. And Sweden did did fair, you know, they feel like they did fairly well. Um, and we look at deaths per million, um, and I don't have the data in front of me, but um, kind of middle of the pack. And I think Sweden um, admittedly felt like they did not do a good enough job protecting their care, uh, uh, elderly homes or, or uh, nursing homes. And there was also a, a large uh, minority population in Sweden, uh, I believe Somali, who were, were disproportionately impacted. And that sort of fed into the little bit of the vitamin D uh, uh, comparison or, or contribution. Uh, our, our, so it, it really, the, the more bronze or dark your skin, the more difficult it is to absorb vitamin D. For example, Ted, you're, yeah, you, you right. know, you're right. fair skin, yeah? So you could be out in the sun at high noon for 15 minutes and and accumulate five to 10,000 units of vitamin D through that limited exposure. And someone with a, a darker skin profile, they, they would need to be out in the sun two to three hours to, to achieve the same level. The worst sunburn so, I ever got in Florida occurred in 20 minutes. Oh my God. Oh, I just, I, oh my <laughs> but God. Think about all the food. vitamin D you generate. Oh, right. 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 If you could get past all the blisters, uh, you know, uh, yeah, You'd rather that, take a pill, for sure. I think so, yeah. And since we spoke last, uh, my vitamin D is on the way. I mean, 
Here's the oh, thing. Excellent. There's no downside to taking vitamin D. There's other good reasons to take it. And if it happens to have a positive impact on my potential exposure to this disease, then all the better. Oh, 100%. And gosh, just even thinking about from a, you think about a, a world health perspective, if we came out of this and said, man, the, there's so many lessons, I think, from this. You know, I, I think, you know, speaking about Sweden and, and the U.S., I, I think, and even, even Britain, um, I'd say the U.S. Was, was hit very hard and Britain was hit very hard. And, and I'm, in my practice, I'm very metabolically minded and I, I yes, love looking are. at blood work. And if yeah. the blood work is, is hinting at metabolic disease and metabolic disease, you know, captures diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, uh, belly fat, aches and pains, Alzheimer's. These are all I, I consider metabolic diseases. Um, even autoimmune diseases are, are thrown in here as well. And if, gosh, if we can just reverse all of these diseases with this diet and dropping the sugar and the soft drinks and the processed foods and just eat real right. food, right. then and then we feel like, oh, gosh, I just dropped 20 pounds without trying. You know, I actually feel like exercising now because I'm not right. carrying around 20, 30 pounds of extra, of extra tissue. So I've been very metabolically driven in my practice because it's um, it's wonderful to see patients thrive and it makes me feel terrific to feel like gosh i'm i'm impactful in their journey and for me the wake-up call for us is just as a country we we we're not leading the world in, in metabolic health right. you know the the numbers are 66 percent i think you know that is quoted these days that our our citizens are overweight or obese and and i think that is also um the case in the UK as well. So I, I, when I look at it and I say, gosh, the, the U.S. did X, Y, and Z wrong and things like that, I, I look at it a little bit different. I say, gosh, we, we could have done better had we, had we been in a little bit better metabolic shape. Um, and, and so I think that's, and it's very empowering for, for me to hear that as well because I was really scared when the virus came in. And I was thinking, gosh, this thing can just take me. I mean, that's right. there's for me, it, not feeling in control or not feeling empowered is is really challenging for me. I I have a lot of fear if I don't feel empowered. And then when I felt like, no, I can I can keep my body in good shape, and and uh, this, if this virus comes calling, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do okay. Right. And right. and I think if we could you know share that message that says, hey, this is if there is a second wave or this, this bug is with us for, you know, years to come, as some doctors are predicting, um, then, you know, how do, how do we get out of the fear, you know, and how do we get right. from empowered? Like, oh, this is no big deal. Kind of like how we view f uh, flu. Flu really comes calling every year and it takes uh, a good portion of us. But um, I would say the majority of us are not, not, you know, paralyzed by the thought of getting the flu. And I, and perhaps it's because we have a vaccine. Um, I think that does play a role, but I think in the case of COVID, if it does pan out, that this is, this is um, really a meta, it, it, COVID preys on those who are metabolically um, challenged and we can reverse that. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. There's nothing right. more empowering than feeling like, Hey, I can get my body into shape boost my vitamin D levels, lose this fat and, 
I, I'm going to do darn well with this virus if it, if it right. comes into my house. Well, I know several years ago, uh, I came in for my annual physical and you were very complimentary that I had shared with you that I was eating higher protein, higher fat, lower carb, but you found out that when I had my breakfast every morning of two eggs, I also had an English muffin. And you just told me, Ted, lose the toast, man. Lose the toast. You don't need that. <laughs> and so uh, I, around the same time, I happened to catch a film called That Sugar Film. And it was by a physician in, I believe, Australia. And he ate the average amount of sugar that a teenager consumed and did that for 30 days. And it almost oh killed him. I mean, he oh, yeah. just crazy. And so I started watching, just didn't tell her that I was watching her, but when my daughter was at that point, I think about eight or nine, and we started looking at what she was eating and the amount of sugar she was consuming was just overwhelming. I was literally embarrassed when I realized. <laughs> and so we slowly started weaning her off of that. And now... She's a sausage and egg kid for breakfast. That's all she wants. She doesn't want any, you know, sugar or pancakes or anything like that. Oh, good for her. Yeah, she's doing well. And that's all uh, all attributable to you. So I, I do appreciate that. The, oh, my uh, pleasure. Yeah. Well, so it is, uh, this comes back to diet. It comes back to exercise. And or you promote a ketogenic diet, don't you? You know, I do. And, and really... I, I guess I will, I'll, I'll expand upon that. I, I propose any diet that gets us the results that, that we're looking for. And again, I, my challenge, I challenge myself, my patients. I say, Hey, look, let's, let's get that waistline back down to where you were when you were in, you know, college, the military. Uh, let's get that muscle mass up and let's lose that fat. And I don't care if it's a all licorice diet, you know, if that's, if you can accomplish all of those things, which is let's get the blood work looking fantastic because the blood work tells us so much. Right. And right. so, um, just, I look at a broad panel of, of items I think are really important to give me a, a whole picture well beyond a, a cholesterol, um, you know, panel, and waistline and we got to track that muscle mass if we're if we're not strong um and we're not we're not um, supporting our frame there's just going to be breakdown so it's really three things i'm looking for um you got to look good on the inside from a blood work perspective we've got to decrease that inflammatory visceral fat and we have to be strong and so um and so that's again and i think ketogenic diet is a tool that that can be used to, um, to get there. And I, I'll, I'll maintain that if, if somebody has a, you know, a spike in their LDL cholesterol because they're having a, you know, some eggs for breakfast, as long as their, their ratios look fantastic and their inflammation is low and the insulin is low and their waistline is pristine. And I, I think they're going to fare a heck of a lot better than someone with, you know, a very low LDL, but with five extra inches and, a, and, and being pre-diabetic. Um, understand. It, it, I understand. It's how I, what I see with my patients. I have a nice flock of patients that let me 
I don't want to use the word experiment on them, but uh, you can experiment on me. Uh, that's okay. Well, we have. <laughs> yeah. We it's it's truly a it's something where we, it's very collaborative. We say, hey, let's try this and let's see right. let's see how the numbers look. Um, you know, in a few months, and and um, so it's when things aren't working out, we we come up with something different, and I think that's a little bit different how I used to practice. I used to give advice and I'd say, yeah, do this. And then someone come back and said, I did what you told me and I, nothing happened. And I would just, I would say, gosh, that can't be my fault because my advice is the best. I, it right. must be the right. fault. And I realized, huh, maybe, maybe, you know, this is an individual. I need to treat them like an individual. Let's really get down to what works for them. Sure. And so, sure. Before we move to talk about personal protection equipment, I do want to ask you about children and COVID. You know, so many people, and I'm one of them, and you as well, have young children that will be starting back to school in August. What is your comfort level at this stage with that happening? Well, it's getting more and more. Uh, Just, again, the data coming out, um, this is not a virus that... um, Again, the data shows that the flu is far more dangerous to to kids than COVID. Uh, And and we do have some countries that have not stopped uh, that that primary school. Sweden is one. I think uh, there's a couple of others who who resumed school in in mid-April. And the nice thing is I think we'll have that data coming back. I I personally, I have a a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, and I never really had a fear for them throughout this, because even back when this was raging in Wuhan, there was, the data was not um, very powerful that this was impacting kids. And had, had it been that I would have been just a wreck for sure. Well, is, yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons I think some people are concerned about it as well is the idea that so many other diseases are spread from children to adults. Is that how COVID reacts or is it different? It seems to be different. It seems that the, the right, it, it happened in our household in, in December. Our, our nine-year-old was diagnosed and hospitalized with mycoplasma, which is a form of pneumonia. They call it walking pneumonia. And then it spread to my six-year-old who wasn't hospitalized but had the highest fever I had ever seen, even oh. as a physician. And then it spread to my wife. And so you're right, that's a typical pattern. For sure, but it doesn't seem to be the case here. It seems to be the, the really the opposite, where the adults are spreading it to the to the little ones. Um, Got it. But again, this is all going to be again looking back. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and and I think we 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 look back upon this and say, gosh, what can we learn? What did we do right? What did we do wrong? What can we do better next time? And then I think each of us looking personally and saying, yeah, there is a strong component here with this from this metabolic perspective. Um, Let's let's see what what strides I can make, and and almost you know, losing the pounds like our lives depend on it because it it truly maybe, could be the case. Maybe it does. Maybe it very much correct. Does. Maybe, and if even if it doesn't, gosh, you know what? Think of all the other benefits. Sure. Yeah. So truly, what do we have to lose? Yeah, but I'm we going broke buying new game. jeans. Like absolutely yeah. none of my clothes fit. <laughs> And if anybody wants well, a whole closet full of uh, size reg- 40 regular suits, just give me a call. You can have them. But it's, uh, yeah, again, you've, you've really kept me on the, the keto path, and I, I think it's been, it's been the best. 
I hope that you enjoyed the opportunity to listen to Dr. Griffin answering some of these questions. And I want to go back and key in on a few things that he said. He talked about the fact that doctors are, you know, obviously advising people to maintain social distancing and to use personal protection equipment. But when it comes to children, the general belief, according to Dr. Griffin, is the data is actually suggesting that the children are not getting it from other children. They're actually getting it from other individual parents. Adults are giving it to children. The other thing that I thought is very important for him to mention is that it appears that a significant number of the people who have died from COVID-19 suffered from various metabolic conditions, things like cardiovascular disease, fatty liver disease, uh, talking to people about having diabetes. And the idea being that the areas of the body that are suffering from inflammation from these metabolic conditions make individuals especially susceptible to the disease and for the fatality associated with that. But as you heard him say many, many times, we have to watch the data. What is the data telling us? And at this point, we're still in the process of gathering that data. He did indicate, as you recall, that he believes it is safe to return our children in August. And I will tell you that I believe that schools should do what they can to honor the boundaries of the parents, whether they're comfortable in bringing their child back immediately or whether or not they're going to wait for some period of time before they expose their children back to a public school environment. We're just going to have to see. But it, it certainly, for me personally, when I was able to speak with Dr. Griffin a few weeks ago, and now we've spoken several times, He's given me an enormous amount of comfort, and I hope after listening to the podcast, you have some comfort too. In the meantime, I need you to keep an eye out for us, and we have another video audio coming from Dr. Griffin that's going to specifically address the safety and efficacy of personal protection equipment. He's going to answer questions like, are N95 masks safe to use? Are there people who shouldn't be using them? And if they are using them, how can they limit any of the consequences of associating such a high concentration of cardio of, of uh, carbon dioxide. And so we'll look forward to sharing that podcast with you as well. The easiest way for you to gain access to that is to subscribe either to our Spotify account. We have our content being published here um, in the context of uh, getting the content through iTunes as well using our News Munchies platform, which is the other brand that our podcasts are published. But uh, to me, it seemed as though we needed to use the broadest uh, spectrum of exposure as we could because of the importance and the timeliness of the content. I want you to keep an eye out for my hashtags, hashtag mask mission. I want you to keep an eye out for hashtag Coralist Cares because I do. And I want you to keep an eye out for additional information that will be coming out about the data that's coming in over the summer. And we'll share the decisions with you that we're making for ourselves and for our family. We look forward to you joining us on our website at www.corlisbarfield.com or www.newsmunchies.com, which is our cannabis brand. Again, my name is Ted Corliss. Be well.